Bear Nation, how we doing? This is your host, Rob Napoli, and you are tuning in to another episode of the Bear Necessities Podcast, a podcast where we sit down with entrepreneurs, ecosystem partners, and innovation folks to talk about what it takes to launch, create, and scale businesses across the world. How are you doing, everybody? This is Rob Napoli, and we are back for another episode of the Bear Necessities Podcast. Today is a, a, an episode that's a long time in the making. Um, I have Nikos Marku. Is that how I say your last name properly? Correct. Spot on. <laughs> I love it. Nikos, welcome to the Bear Necessities. Uh, we were introduced through good friends of the show, Max and Carissa, um, who actually did an episode of the Bear Necessities uh, back when they launched TEDx Bayonne, which is how you and I um, met. So first, I'll, I'll do the quick bio, but I just want to say welcome to the show, Nikos. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited. So Nikos is a talent leader, uh, works in a Fortune 500 with over 15 years experience in talent and organizational design. You know, throughout his career, he's been involved in a number of different um, processes or things that involve owning and leading initiatives on talent acquisition, talent management, succession planning, diversity inclusion, learning and development, employee relations, so on and so forth, which as y'all, if you're a longtime listener of the show and know my background as an agency recruiter uh, and, and my consulting and, and organizational design, uh, you know that Nikos and I had um, quite a long <laughs> uh, uh, pre-prep talk that had nothing to do with the show. It had everything to do with just um, talking shop. Uh, he's now a published author in Forbes, uh, not only is he a thought leader, but he did a TEDx talk for TEDx Bayonne that it was called Resumes Don't Work. Here's what we should do instead. That went absolutely bonkers viral on YouTube. I loved it. There's so much to pull apart from it, which we'll get into in this episode. Um, but Nikos, before we kind of get into the TEDx thing, how did you, what made you want to get into kind of this world of talent leadership, talent acquisition, employee relationships? Like, how did you fall into this? Was it something that was is by design or was it something you fell into? Talk to me a little about how you got into this side of the business. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, you know, I'm an older millennial. I was born in 1982. So uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to remember the before times and the after times uh, and also uh, blessed with, you know, going to college at a time where there was less pressure on uh, less competition, less pressure on needing to know where you are and who you are and where your place in the world is. And um, so I kind of didn't have a lot of plan, a big plan. I kind of tried figuring it out as I was going. And like many people trying to figure it out, I just picked what uh, to study what I thought was the most interesting thing. The, the same way that you would go into a restaurant and pick out the most interesting thing uh, that you see on the menu. I studied forensic psychology um, and then I graduated in 2009 and suddenly uh, the most interesting thing on the menu wasn't so interesting anymore because suddenly we're in this, at that time it was still, I would say a American recession, uh, uh, recession. So we didn't really realize the effects of globalization back then. So I said, Hey, I need to do something really creative up until that point. You know, I was kind of coasting through life. I was working 
as a waiter, bartender uh, in New York City and kind of paying my way through college. And uh, I love the psychology piece um, just because I loved working with people, very cliche, but I also like the forensic side because um, I had a passion for criminal justice. I loved a lot of crime shows. So it just kind of was a very interesting thing to study. Um, but 2009 comes in and the harsh reality of, oh my God, I have something that has very limited job prospects. And I feel like a lot of people have been in that position. So I needed to be very creative. So I decided to, on a whim within a week, I decided to, all right, like I need this vibe overall is not, you know, New York, the vibe in New York at the time kind of changed a bit. So I was like, you know what, let me try something different. So on a whim, I moved to the UK, um, applied to the to one of the few universities that would accept me in like under a week. Uh, and I decided to study human resources management, which was something at the time I, um, I didn't know what it was. I have obviously had exposure to it because I managed restaurants, I worked people. I had supervisory roles. I had to manage up. So I, I understood a lot about it, but I didn't know exactly what it was. So I moved to the UK um, and then studied uh, HR uh, management and uh, uh, got an opportunity working in uh, sales and learning and development uh, for a company in the UK, then decided to move to Cyprus, where I'm originally from. Uh, started working uh, for Randstad, if you're familiar with the recruitment agency. Uh, at that point, the American recession started becoming a global recession. And uh, Randstad at the time decided to close its smallest uh, smallest offices in Europe. And one of them was uh, uh, Randstad Cyprus. So three months into me having the role there, um, I was left without a job. Uh, but I decided to kind of help the woman that was managing the branch because she gave me an opportunity. Uh, I decided to help her close out everything. And she connected me to somebody um, in, in Cyprus that uh, had a massive, one of the largest companies on the island. And I became, I started his HR department. And I started it from scratch. Um, and I had an opportunity to work with people from all over. He had activities in different countries all over the world. And it was just a, a great experience. And then eventually I uh, took up a, uh, an opportunity at a global firm, which I'm with right now, EY. Um, and that was a great experience. That was life-changing. I had an opportunity to uh, travel all over the world, uh, travel to at least like 20, 20 or so uh, countries, work with people from all over and different talent programs. And now I am still at that company. Um, it's I've changed over the years, but uh, the firm has been able to offer um, incentives and opportunities for my growth and development throughout the years. And I'm very happy where I am. Uh, and I was gonna say, I love how you chose the most interesting on the menu in forensic psychology. Path to, to human resources. And, and not even human resources, I think there's two sides of HR, right? There's like the administrative and there's talent. And I think there's like two clear delineations. And that's what I love is I love the talent side. I'm obsessed with talent. I talk a lot about, you know, you and I bonded over, you know, a lot of the topics that I talk about are how to attract and retain uh, Gen Z and millennial talent, right? I'm that older millennial as well. I'm 
you know, I graduated, came out of school in 2010. So I was still feeling the effects of, you know, I was in school during that recession. And I saw those things my senior year, we were talking and studying about them. But you know, when you're in college, especially for me, I was playing football. Was, like, I didn't fully grasp what that meant until I went into the working world. And like you, it was kind of like, oh, shit. Uh, the market's not as good as you thought it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I fell into recruitment similar the same way, or talent acquisition. But you know, you've lived abroad in Cyprus, in the UK, you know, being a New Yorker, all these things. You've you know, working through a, through a large consultancy, you've gotten to travel and, and sit into these different rooms with talent leaders all over the world. What can you say when we look at talent? Because you know, the biggest thing I talk to, and I talk about podcasts all the time, is the, is the big cultural differences between the U.S. market and the rest of the world and companies trying to come in. But what have you realized? What are some of those things across cultures, no matter what? Obviously, there's cultural differences, but about talent acquisition and talent strategy that you've noticed, is there any similarities or really key differences that you're like, this is a common misconception about talent acquisition strategies across the world? Yeah, so um, it, it's interesting, right? Because um, I, I see a lot of the uh, incentive programs that were kind of like baseline expectations, baseline uh, benefits in Europe kind of catch on here. Like for something, when, I'll give you an example. Um, when I started working, I never ever thought that I would, I never even thought of the concept of parental leave or what that actually meant or that I wanted it or needed it. But I, uh, I did you know, I was very, very fortunate to take a 16 week uh, parental leave, uh, a parental leave that kind of was to me, if I was going to put a value to it, it 100,000, 200,000, it's time that I will never, ever, um, that I will never, ever get back. And it is so valuable. Uh, yet, I never, ever thought that was uh, something that I could pursue and achieve and get in corporate America. Whereas in Europe, you see those programs, maybe it's not 16 weeks um, and it's not, you know, subsidized by, you know, your employer exclusively, and maybe it's part of the, a government incentive, but we're seeing those type of programs kind of transfer over, but we're also seeing that a lot of the you know, in America, it's no secret. People get paid more than they do in, in, in Europe. Like the salaries are significantly higher in the U.S. than they are in Europe. And we're seeing those things kind of like balance out. And I see, I think that's just part of globalization. I think that's part of us being in a, a world that's much more interconnected. Um, I also do see that you know, entrepreneurship, and I know that's like a big topic, you know, passion of yours. Um, I do see that there is much more of a propensity across all of them for now younger people to take on, be more entrepreneurial, not just in their jobs, but also through side hustles, through trying to do something else on the side. And that's normal. Um, but I, I do think it's an exciting time, an exciting time for entrepreneurship, just because we could be chit chatting right now, share an idea about a company, and we can have it start. We can set up, we can register the company today. We can 
create like a website, we could create a TikTok, we can get that company up and running by the end of this discussion. So I do see those things kind of trend and those are impacting the workplace, how we're working and what people are expecting from their employer. Um, I also do see that we are in an age of transparency, that it that you can't hide what's behind the curtain, right? There's too many websites, whether it's Fishbowl or Glassdoor, kind of giving an insight into how your company runs and what your company culture is. And I see that not just young people, people of all ages are now tapping into that as a resource to be like, well, is this a right move? So I do think that's a game changer. I love that. And we'll kind of come back to um, kind of how we met in this viral video, the, the TEDx talk on resumes don't work and here's what we should do instead. I'm going to link the full talk in these, the episode show note for anyone listening that's interested, go check it out. It's awesome. But when you were thinking about this concept and you were thinking about putting this kind of talk together, you know, maybe kind of give us the high level. Um, what was, you know, what was the, what was it like putting that together? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, you know, the reason why I landed on that idea was I knew that I wanted to do something within the talent space. I knew that I wanted to, um, I, I knew that I wanted to focus on an area that would create dialogue. Um, and, you know, um, Ted, the whole spirit of Ted is because I'm not just a TEDx speaker. I've also organized and produced my own TED Talks in the past. The whole concept of TED is ideas worth sharing, worth spreading, right? And I did want to create something where people didn't watch it and said, oh, this guy's uh, this guy's super cool or this guy is uh, like, I didn't want to have everyone 100% convinced. I wanted to start a dialogue because I have some solutions. I think there are there might be better solutions than what I'm offering out there. I wanted to start a dialogue because the reality is, right, where we talk about authenticity and we, we talk about diversity and inclusion, but we're really like if we don't make changes about about, you know, the whole employee experience from start to finish, we're missing the mark on a lot of this. And if you think about resumes, right, resumes have been around for so long and people don't understand for how long they've been around. But over 500 years, right, you know, if you watch the talk, um, the first person without giving too much away, the first person that um, that started resumes to have the first resume was Leonardo da Vinci. And if you, you know, if we know what we know about Leonardo da Vinci, this is the guy that painted the Mona Lisa, the guy that first imagined the helicopter, the tank, uh, flight, like he was amazing, right? But if you take a look at his resume, you would never guess that this person was capable of achieving all of this, right? And if resumes fail to capture this person's genius, this one of the most talented people on the planet, their genius, their potential, you know, what chance do you and I have, right? Um, it's kind of makes you, it makes you think, right? And then 
you know, you look back at the history in like modern society, like they've become a mainstay since the 50s, but we've made so many changes as a society since then. We've innovated so many things, yet resumes pretty much look almost the same after all these years. And it just makes you wonder is like, why not innovate? Why not? And there's always going to be someone out there that's going to say more than one person, right? And that's why we're kind of stuck in the status quo. They're going to say, well, they work. That's why we shouldn't change it. But do they work, right? Because if you look in the statistics of resumes and talent acquisition, people um, people with that have uh, non, uh, non-Caucasian names, they kind of get disadvantaged, right? If you're a woman and you're applying for a role that has been traditionally uh, you know, dominated by men, uh, you're, you're clearly at a disadvantage. So, and there's tons of studies that to prove this. So it kind of makes you wonder why not innovate? Why not have a conversation about, Hey, let's mix things up. And, you know, why not look at the onboarding experience, not just from like the moment somebody joins your, your company, but from way before. So you can attract people, uh, that, offer something different and have diverse perspectives and you're not competing with your competitors for the same small group of talent, right? So we're not at the point where we're just, okay, we're saying we can't hire people yet we're only competing with five other companies or six other companies or, or 10 other companies. You, you really want to expand that pool and resumes kind of restrict you because, and also the technology that we rely on leveraging to kind of allow us to sort through it is nowhere near to predicting. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'll, I'll throw this out there like HR technology, HR tech platform, even all the new ones still continue to suck because there's still inherent biases, there's still inherent issues that come up. And I, you hit on a point that I, I want to stop and bring up because this is something I love. And it's this idea of what I call recruitment marketing, right? That the onboarding experience does not start the day they get hired. It starts the day they apply to your role. It's the day they find that you have a job opening. That is all. Brand connection, right? How many days it takes for you to follow up? What is that job experience like? And the way that you even write a job description, the way you even put jobs out there limits it literally attracts a certain vein of what you want it to be by places with the certain words and keeping it in a certain way and so the way that we write job descriptions the way that we you know push out job applications needs to change as well and so you, you, you i know you mentioned that it was like a small piece of your puzzle and i know that i'm like getting a little bit into giving some of the talk away we want to drive people to watch that but there's so <laughs> much that goes about into you know recruitment marketing. So I wanted to just like highlight that for a quick second. No, absolutely. And, you know, um, you know, if you look at, you know, the generate, the next generation of like who we're trying to recruit, uh, you know, and if you look like at millennials and Gen Z, they're looking for much more transparency as far as like what they're going to be doing at work. And if you look at like job descriptions, it's kind of like very, very vague. Um, there's all these like, you know, keywords that you, you know, they're just, just dressing it up and it's not really about 
the meat of the matter. Like, what are you going to be doing, right? And it doesn't really give a good glimpse into what type of work you're going to be doing. And that's where I feel like a lot of companies are falling behind because you have to be transparent from the get-go. And I feel like generationally, both millennials and Gen Z who are now, you know, taking over the, you know, the workforce, they will hold their employer accountable to their word more so than Gen X and the boomers did in the past. That's why we want transparency. And I think you're, you're, you're dealing with a workforce that is very, very smart. And there's been, there's been so much said about Gen Z and there's, there's been even more said about millennials and not, you know, if you're, you, you remember, like they've said so much about millennials, um, but we should not be underestimated where we've formed our years, like during the most interconnected uh, part of the world. Right. Although we remember the before times where you needed to prove your, you need to research your argument and prove it. Now we're fact checking you in real time. Right. So, you really need to be very careful. I think you need to, and I think, you know, whatever you say about this generation, they know, they, they want to know what they're getting into and they want to, and they are realistic. They know that their first, their second, their third, even their 10th employer may not be the perfect employer, but they're expecting certain values and one of the biggest values is being honest. They're not always expecting, you know, the the answer that's going to make them feel good, but they want the truth and it matters. I love that. I love that. It's such a key point in set. Everyone wants transparency from the role they're walking into, the opportunities they have, the employer that they're working with, the, the team that they're working on. And also the flip side, the employers want the, the truth on like, why are you looking to make a move? What is your job history? All these different things. And when we get to the point that we start having real transparent conversations, we change the game on hiring and how we bring about great talent acquisition. And we think about the future, right? We look at this is, you know, this episode is going to be coming out at the end of the year. In December, we're going to be walking into 2023. What should, if somebody is looking for a job right now, what are a couple key things, key takeaways that, or key piece of advice that you would give them to uh, go about their job search um, going into next year? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, um, my viewpoint has been formed and shaped, you know, from my life experiences, but also uh, major events that have happened, right? Like the one we, we spoke about earlier about like the recession in 2009, 2010, um, but also, you know, the pandemic, um, the different, the job markets and how they've, how it's evolved and cha changed over the last like 12, 13, 14 years um, and how dynamic the, the job market is now, right? Last two years or so, we've been going through, you know, right after the heels of the pandemic, we went through the great resignation where it allowed and employees to kind of reshape the dialogue and the discussion about where they can take their careers. And I know there's, you know, been a dry up of capital 
and with you know obviously with the moves the Fed is making and that's kind of impacted the markets. It, it's impacted um, how companies are being you know are are investing. It's kind of like triggered certain certain layoffs. So the market has shifted uh, has shifted a bit and it's actually cooled off a little bit. But I don't think that you know whatever we gained as employees has been completely lost. I, I think quite to the contrary, um, a lot of em em employees uh, should learn from that experience uh, that, hey, you know what? Now, like one of the biggest things for me is we shook off the stigma of being able to bounce from job to job, right? Um, I, when I started working, I knew, like I was told there were certain principles, like even if you go to your first job and you hate it from day one, suck it up and stay there until like at least you close two years, not even one year, two years. So even if you hate it, you know, you have the worst toxic boss, toxic environments, like terrible, suck it up, wait two years, and then two years, make a move. You don't want to create this, um, this perception of yourself that you're a job hopper. And now suddenly we're the great resignation happens and we're seeing people uh, jump from opportunity to opportunity. And now, even before that, right, we're seeing resumes now where people stay, uh, stay on for like six months or a year and they can use that as an advantage in a, in a, in a, um, in an interview. And I think that's great. And I think it's not about whether one is better than the other, right? Like you have two candidates and one of them has 10 years in one company and then you have another candidate um, and uh, they have like uh, five com experience experiences in five different companies over a decade and you should go for this one or you should go for that one. It's not one or the other. I think what plays and in comes into play here is how you're going to sell it in an interview. And it really is the skill that you need to derive from there is how you're going to sell yourself. That is num like that is number one. Like, how are you going to sell yourself? Uh, if you have worked at one job and this goes not just, okay, well, you get into the interview and how you're going to sell yourself. It's even before the interview, what you're putting in the resume, right? What are you, are you dressing it down? Are you really kind of looking at the job description for the job that you're applying and kind of aligning it to the language and tone and the expectations that they're looking for? Are you putting in the job description just things that you did or you're showing key milestones that have not only helped your development, but also helped your company move ahead, right? So it's those things that you need to be thoughtful about and be able to sell them, right? Because there is no right answer. We, you know, it's just completely different. So that's, so that's like one of them, right? You know, you know, being able to sell, sell yourself. The other thing is, you know, um, since a TED talk went viral, like I've always had, because you're in HR, you always get people to ask you for career advice. And they always like, you know, they're like, you know, oh, tell, tell, tell me about my resume. You know, I have a, an issue with my boss. How do I manage that? Oh, I have an issue with my one of my team members. How do I manage that? And like they always ask for career advice. And I think when it comes to like a long term aspect of your career, 
I always say, forget about your resume, forget about the experiences at work, upskilling, all of that stuff that does matter, right? The number one key thing is whether you're um, financially in a good position. It's not even about your resume. It's not even about your job. It's about what is going on with your finances, right? And are you able to um, withstand, right? Jumping into a job that you do not like, that you you are not growing and how quickly can you move and are you going to be in the position to risk moving, right? So I do feel like we're, you know, because I read a lot and I watch a lot of podcasts and I feel like a lot of people miss the opportunity about talking about financial literacy and, um, you know, um, financial independence because that will kind of be a key differentiator in how you're going to move around, move about in your career. And the thing about millennials and uh, Gen Z is we are going to have probably longer careers than the boomers, than Gen X, because we're going to live longer, right? Life expectancy is going, is increasing, right? Um, social security is probably going to be moved up, right? We're seeing those trends already happen in Europe. In Japan, we're seeing those things happen. So it's only a matter of time before it happens here. So if we're going to move the retirement age from it, from your mid-60s to higher up, right, and you're going to have a longer career, you need to be more prepared for it. And if you're in your 40s, you have 30, 25 to 30 years ahead of you still work and grow and develop, you definitely want to be in a position where your finances are in order and you are able to jump at an opportunity and not feel confined and hostage at a job that kind of like the writings on the wall that you're not growing, you're not developing, but also, you know, what we've seen from this, you know, the great resignation now and like how things are changing, right? A lot of people jumped at great opportunities uh, from a career standpoint and also to increase their remuneration. But a lot of companies proceeded to do layoffs once capital dried up. And now, you know, they adopted that, well, you know, last person in, first person out approach, or they kind of just let go of entire departments where that were relying on innovation and research and development. So, you're seeing people that um, kind of walked into something and they got something else. And you really need to be prepared financially to withstand that. And unfortunately, there's a lot of research about this, you know, about Henry's, like high income earners that live from paycheck to paycheck. And I think that uh, a lot of people, if you want career longevity, you need to sort out your finances. And unfortunately for a lot of people, because of the student debt crisis in the U.S., you know, that's not possible. They don't have that flexibility because they're confined by that. Absolutely. I mean, there's a tons of, of, of gyms in there from you not only jump at the right opportunity, but also not take an opportunity because you feel confined or need money. Um, the fact that we are going to have longer careers. So whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, you can always take a step back, take a step forward. You can do career transitions. You can change careers. You could start a completely new career because the opportunities are endless and opportunities are there for you to grow.
I feel like we're going to have to bring you back to go down the, the other side, the employer side on a deeper yeah. level. So um, be looking out for um, Nikos in, in 2023 for a follow-up episode. Uh, but it's short. Where can they find you? I'm obviously going to link the TED Talk on you, TEDx Talk on YouTube, but where can they find you if they want to learn more about you and get in touch with you personally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I uh, monitor my own LinkedIn. And uh, if you message me, uh, Nikos Marku on LinkedIn, uh, I promise you that I will personally get back to you. Uh, I don't have uh, a virtual assistant responding. So please reach out to me. I do my best to respond back to everyone. As I said, you know, I, uh, since the TED Talk came out, I've been getting messages from all over the world. Um, and it's been, I, I welcome that. I enjoy that. I did this to uh, be exposed to other people and learn. And I feel like I'll learn from them. So, um, and, you know, um, I am where I am today uh, because of people that have helped me. And anything that I can do to help others would be great. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to link that in the show notes as well. Um, I'll have the YouTube video of the TEDx talk. Check it out. There's so many great takeaways. Nikos, thank you for taking the time um, and energy and effort to be a part of Bear Nation. We appreciate you. Bear Nation, as always, until next time, stay well and rise up. Thank you, Nikos. Bear Nation, thanks for listening to the Bear Necessities of Entrepreneurship. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review.